This is Soundstage founder Doug Schneider. You're listening to the Soundstage Audiophile Podcast, your semi-regular deep dive into news, facts, opinions, and anecdotes about everything that really matters in the world of high-performance audio. Hosts Brent Butterworth and Dennis Berger have more than five decades worth of audio product testing experience and a few hours of podcasting experience as well. Now, here's Brent and Dennis. Hi, everyone. It's Dennis Berger, editor of Soundstage Access. And Brent Butterworth, editor of Soundstage Solo. And we both write for the Soundstage Network, which is a collection of nine microsites that cover all sorts of topics in audio, from affordable stuff and tips and tricks for beginners to headphones to ultra high ends to software. We've got microsites that cover everything. Everything from under $10 stuff to stuff that costs more than probably almost any car you can think of. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what are we talking about this week, man? Actually, you so, know what? I'm the I'm the one that's kicking that off. You so I'm going to tell it you what we're right. Yeah, I'm going to tell you what we're starting what are with. We? Dennis, what are we talking about? <laughs> I have no idea. It's well, all you to me. You set us up for this in the last episode when you sort of teased that we're going to do a year-end special since this ah, is okay. our last episode of the year. So I thought it would be a good time to switch things up and we're going to dive into a Soundstage article first. We're going to talk about the 2022 Soundstage Network Awards for Outstanding Achievement and Products of the Year. Yeah. Um, changing things up a little this year. It's not just a list of gear, although it ends with a list of gear, but there's some pretty cool uh, additions this time around. I want to dig yeah. into that. What do you want to talk about? Well, I want to talk about an article that appeared in Stereophile that's, that I found on their website. And mm-hmm. the article is called Ch 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 Changes, obviously referring to the David Bowie song um, yeah. in the hi-fi industry. And it's on their website now. And it is a really interesting uh, sort of synopsis of what's going on with the high-end audio business in terms of the way they're doing distribution now and the product trends and all that. And it quotes one of my favorite experts in high-end audio, Anthony Chiarella. So we will dig into that a little bit. And then we are going to wrap up with something else. Yeah. Interestingly, I'm the one that's bringing a headphone discussion to the table Mm. this time around. But I don't know what the hell's going on. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, if you don't, we're in big trouble, man. Um, so anyway, uh, this is a press release that Harman put out a few weeks ago. JBL hits 200 million headphones milestone. Some interesting things in this, some things that I wouldn't expected, some things that point to some interesting changes in the headphone marketplace, which I think is, um, I don't know, that's a good discussion to have as we as we roll the calendar over from an old year to a new year to talk about changes and, and uh, emerging trends. So I want to dig into that yeah. and maybe pick your brain about some of the stuff. Oh, so. hmm. I hope you find something. <laughs> yeah. But first, let's talk about the soundstage piece, man, because it's pretty cool, pretty different. And, uh, you know, I have to admit, I have long been the sort of person who largely ignored sort of products of the year articles in most publications that I've ever worked for. Unless I was writing them, I kind of didn't care about them. They seem, um, oh, what's the uh, obligatory in a way that, I don't know, rubs me the wrong way, but. 
This is well, really neat. What I do, I have to say, I, let me interject here. Sure. I find them invaluable as a source for stuff that we can make fun of on the soundstage audiophile podcast. <laughs> but go ahead. <laughs> but I don't think we can make fun of this one, man. I think no, I, I think, think they did a good um, job on this. I think well, Doug is they. We are they. Well, Doug is they. Doug did. Doug, is Doug they. wrote this one. Yeah. Our founder. So, yes. Yeah. So instead of just doing the products of the year roundup, he is starting it off with uh, outstanding achievement awards. In which, um, I guess maybe every year he's going to spotlight three people that deserve some recognition. But he started yeah. off with three this year. He started off with Dr. Floyd Tool, mm-hmm. uh, whom you and I talk about a lot. Um, you know. NRC researcher, uh, a legendary um, uh, engineer at, at Harman, um, responsible for let's a say, lot of. Let's, let's, let me correct you. Legendary oh, scientist sorry. at Harman. That's true. That's true. He is a scientist. Yeah. Um, responsible for a lot of our understanding about the interaction between speakers and rooms, the um, correlation between objective measurements and subjective impressions. I mean, you know, there's a good reason that this guy's at the top of the list of people yeah. who have um, contributed significantly to our understanding of audio reproduction. So I like to see him Indeed. up there first. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we got Paul Barton. Um, Paul Barton, I think a lot of people know from PSB and NAD. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Doug makes a really, really good case of, you know, why this guy deserves to be on the list with Dr. Floyd Tool. And um, I think it's really cool, cool write up, cool breakdown of his achievements and what he's done. Well, you know, I, I have to point out, you know, Paul is to Floyd Tool sort of what, and this may be really getting out there, sort of what St. Paul was to Jesus. Sort of. <laughs> No. Oh, wow. That's actually a really good analogy. Yeah. Yeah. Paul, Paul Barton was the one who really took all the work that Floyd Tool was doing and applied it to speaker design. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. I'm sure one I'll get of, in trouble couple, for all that, but whatever. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a really, really good point. Um, and then the third person, someone that I, I don't, I'm not as familiar with because it's a brand I'm not as familiar with, mm-hmm. Siegfried Anft from T plus A, Electroacoustic. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I think also Doug makes a really good case for why he's someone that uh, people like me who per- perhaps didn't know as much about him should know more about him and his contributions to audio reproduction. Yeah, so. I'd never heard of him before. Yeah. So, and, you know, but I should have, I think it's yeah. just because T plus A is not uh, a brand that has been well promoted in the U.S. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it, you know, probably much better known to Europeans, especially to Germans. So, yeah, but, you know, they have, they are coming, oh, I think they're, they're, they're getting more attention now in the U.S. And they, they actually have some headphones that are really interesting, like high-end headphones of their own design, you know, that they're not, they didn't just buy something from China um, or even just buy somebody's drivers. You know, they really developed their own headphone line from the ground up, which is hard to do and Mm -hmm. gutsy. And um, my perception could be wrong here, but I think it's actually kind of the headphones putting them on the radar of a lot of people here in the U.S. I guess it is. Well, it's hard to get on the radar with, you know, an amplifier or something, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But when you do headphones, it's a lot easier to do something distinctive and they have. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I'm, I, I, re- I would, uh, unfortunately, I've only heard their products at trade shows and mm. 
we have been talking with them a little bit about getting some in for soundstage solo, but we're still in kind of the talking stage just because they don't have a lot of representation here in the U.S. right now. Oh, yeah. So it's a little harder to get product in, into the hands yeah. of yeah people like us. Interesting. Yeah. So... But cool. Well, and, you know, that that also, uh, let me just sort of toot our own horn a little bit. That just sort of shows that, you know, Soundstage is really an international website. It's not like a necessarily U.S. market focused or, or North American market focused or anything like that. It's like we kind of cover a, a really broad spectrum of all the markets, certainly Europe and, and North America, Asia mm-hmm. to a lesser extent. But mm-hmm. we're working on that, too, though. So Got a whole uh, microsite just for Australia, you know? Yeah, it's true. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Well, I'm waiting on the microsite for Alabama. So, <laughs> yeah, I think it would be. You know what's funny when I go to like crafters and, and stuff here. What I'm mm-hmm. seeing a lot of are those um, suitcase speakers. So maybe that's what oh, really? <laughs> Southstage Alabama would be. <laughs> People building speakers out of suitcases. Cool. I don't know what's. That, I don't know what that's about. Have you seen those? I have. Well, you know, Henry Close kind of invented that. Oh. Oh, you know, like around 1988 or something mm-hmm. where he had like a, he had those, those original subwoofer satellites. I think it was the first guy to really market a subwoofer satellite concept. Mm-hmm. And then he came out with a version of it, the fitness suitcase where the suitcase was the subwoofer and the satellites were his little satellites and yeah. it had a little amp box and you could lug this thing around. And it was really revolutionary at the time because it was a, like a modestly sized suitcase, but you could bring along a really good sounding audio system. Mm-hmm. When you went on your vacation or when you went to, it's probably more than you want to lug for a European trip or something. But like if you were yeah. going to your your cabin in the woods or or whatever, or you're going to your condo in Florida for a month, totally viable. Yeah. So yeah. I, I'm curious. I, you should do you should do an article about this for Soundstage. Oh, cool. Yeah. You really should. That'd be cool. When I run out of ideas or when I finally get to start going to these craft fairs again, I mean, I guess yeah. again, I'm just starting to get to the point to where I can do that. So, yeah, that might no, be cool. I'm looking for like forward the- to that article. I think that would be hilarious and awesome. So, <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's, let's get into some let's get into some awards. What products won awards this year, Dennis? That uh, interested first, you? There's a lot that won int- awards, probably 20 that won awards. Yeah. Well, I, I you know. You and I have talked about it and have talked about this a little bit on the site. I've been for the past couple of years, I've been on a bit of a, a walkabout. I've been in trying to explore as much as I could the the integrated amplifier market mm-hmm. with an eye toward like where are the boundaries in terms of value? Like where do you start to hit diminishing returns? What does a thousand dollars get you? What does two thousand get you? So on and so forth. So the two really cool integrated amplifiers on this list that were just so happened to be two of my three in a, uh, favorite integrated amps of the year, mm-hmm. the Marantz model 40 and the NAD C399. And I thought yeah. Doug did a really, really good job of breaking down like those two products and sort of covering why I thought they were great. I think they're interesting because they represent in a sense Two kind of different approaches to what you can do at their price point. They're both in the $2,500 range, right? Yeah. And they spend that $2,500 a little differently, right? Um, They both sound amazing. They're both just fantastic sounding amplifiers. Mm -hmm. But I think what's neat is that NAD 
takes. And this is, it's $2,500 with the add-on module. These things are, the the NADs are modular design, so you can add boards that add functionality, almost yeah. like uh, people are used to with computers, right? And mm-hmm. so you can add this blue OSD module that adds um, more sophisticated bass management. It adds um, blue sound uh, streaming, and it also adds Dirac room correction, right? Um, and I think you know, well, and also this thing has got like an HDMI input. I mean, you you would have a hard time making the case that you really need more integrated amplifier than this thing represents, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. In terms of the technology, in terms of connectivity, in terms of the ecosystem. What's interesting is the, the Marantz is the same price on features it perhaps might not stack up one-to-one, but I think where the value is in the Marantz is you get into a level of design, build quality, fit and finish, um, and ergonomics that you would not expect at this price, yeah. right? You know, you and I often talk about like, what do you get into when you're buying high-end audio? Like true, the high-end audio that you and I really value. And a lot of times it is polish, build quality, refinement, things like that. Yeah. This Marantz is getting into territory that you wouldn't a few years ago have expected to see like in $20,000 amplifiers. Like I, you, you unbox this thing. Like I, I have a budget limit on access because I'm a yeah. budget website. And when I first unbocked this thing, I was like, Oh, I've screwed up. <laughs> There's no way yeah, this, I you, you, you were telling bucks. me you thought it was like 8,000 bucks or something. And that's purely build quality. That's the quality of the materials and the binding posts, and the organization of the back panels. So I just think it's really neat that you've got these two integrated amps that cost basically the same if they're really differentiating themselves and they might appeal to different uh, consumers for the for completely different reasons. So I think that's really neat. What did you see that stood out? Well, one thing that stood out to me was something that that didn't quite surprise me, but I really expect it. But here it is. Um, I think that we have, you know, it's interesting that you're talking about integrated amplifiers, which you hook up to a passive speaker, because the trend is pretty clearly now at this point, after, you know, 25 years of people trying to make this happen, the trend is clearly now towards active speakers in the audiophile world. And granted, that may not be the majority of the product out there or the majority of the companies, but I think the majority of the focus and the things that get the really enthusiastic reviews and -hmm. the things I think people are actually buying are these speakers that have the amps and everything built in to where you have amps, streaming, et cetera. Because right now we have, for innovation and design, we have an award for the KEF LS60 wireless speaker system, which we talked about in pretty mm-hmm. great depth, which is a gorgeous speaker system. I assume it sounds really good. I still haven't heard it. That has like, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's an audio system in and of itself. You don't need to hook anything else up to it. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the Bang & Olsen Lab 28 loudspeaker system, which, you know, Bang & Olsen has been making active speakers since way before it was cool. Right, um, yeah. We have the ATC SCM50, which is an interesting system in that it's designed to be sold either active or passive. It's like it's twenty six thousand a pair passive, and it's thirty four thousand a pair active. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the Dynaudio Focus thirty active loudspeaker system, and so this is really yeah. We granted we have a, a nice model from Clipson here. We have a nice model from. Um, uh, monitor audio in here, but clearly the focus is sh- in the in the in the audiophile world seems to be shifting towards active product, and I think that's really great because 
And we're going to talk about our next segment is where the, the audio market is going. And, mm-hmm. and one of the things that the people that they're quoting talk about is the kind of lack of awareness that happens with sort of lower end buyers. You know, people mm-hmm. are looking for something relatively affordable and, and functional as opposed to a status item. Um, and, you know, when you can go buy these systems. Oh, and I forgot there's an SVS system in here yes. for like for seven ninety nine, yes. And there's a JBL integrated system for 1500 So when you can go out there for, for $899 is the SVS Prime Wireless Pro. When you can mm-hmm. go out and buy this really, really good sounding system for $899 and it's, it's soup to nuts. Everything is in there that you need. You might Unless want you to want add, to add a turntable. Yeah. You can add you a know. turntable, a subwoofer, et cetera. But yeah. Everything in there, you, you basically have a, have a system that's complete in and of itself for 900 bucks, and it sounds great. And it's not the most handsome system I've ever seen, but it looks fine. It's not ugly. Yeah. It's just a black box, you know, with some, some you know, <laughs> shiny sides. Yeah. Um, I so, want to say, though, one, one thing I wanted to touch on, I know I've mm-hmm. told this story before on the podcast probably, but I want to repeat this. Like, one of the really, really cool things that SVS has done with the Prime Wireless Pro platform, um, Gordon reviewed the Prime Wireless Pro Active Speakers. I reviewed the Soundbase, which is basically an integrated amplifier. But, but in terms of usability, they're the same. So one of the things I want to talk about with this one that I thought was neat is the remote control gives you really immediate easy, intuitive access to a lot of the features of this thing that, you know, before maybe the features within an app, maybe they were, you know, there was some secret handshake with buttons. Mm -hmm. The cool thing about this is you've got six presets at the bottom. You hit that thing and it's like, it can be anything from your favorite internet radio station to your favorite Spotify playlist to a playlist in your Apple music. And I think that's really amazing because your favorite hmm? podcast. Yes. The soundstage audiophile podcast. (laughs) Everybody's favorite. Yes. Um, But you've got just six presets that you could just pull up at a snap. And I think that's amazing because I think it lowers the barrier to entry to actually engaging with your system. And if something yep. is that easy, I know convenience is a really, really ugly word in our in our hobby, right? But I think the people who think convenience is bad are wrong. When you increase the convenience of a system like this, you make it more likely that people are going to engage with it, which makes it more likely that people are going to be listening to higher quality audio reproduction, which is should be the whole goal, in my opinion. Yeah, so. sure. This is great. This is, a, I, I, you know, I really, I kind of want one of these things because, you know, my listening habits during the day are basically internet radio, which is, is basically a bunch of jazz stations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I could do, I have some Spotify. I would probably have one button for the Spotify. Oh, which jazz? I can't remember the name of it, but there's like a, you know, new jazz uh, uh, playlist on Spotify that I like mm-hmm. and I could hit that and you know it's like you have six listening options it's kind of yes. most of what you want during the course of a day is kind of right there you don't have to to open an app and you know internet radio is kind of a pain mm-hmm. unless you have something like this or unless you get it through like an Amazon uh, Alexa product where you can just tell it you know play K and TU or whatever and it'll yeah. play it. Um, so I think this is really welcome. And honestly, if I were a much higher end manufacturer, I would have already copied the speaker and be showing it <laughs> at the Munich show next yeah. spring because yes. 
this is a, a, just such a great feature to have. I have the original Prime Wireless speakers. I, I use them to mix and master the podcast on. As soon as I get my taxes done this year and can afford it, I'm going to be talking to SVS about upgrading to the Wireless Pro because, you know, they take everything I love about the Prime Wireless. They add the remote control. They add the easier access to presets and they got more bass. So yeah. what is not to love? I think yeah. even though I didn't review it, I think it's probably my favorite product of the year. So. I think I will be getting a set of these at some point. Yeah. Um, Anything cool in headphones we ought to talk about? Yeah, there were a lot of, there were a million things. So, which, you know, we only had space for four things. So I kept some fairly higher end stuff in here. But, um, you know, the, the Meze Audio uh, 109 Pro is our top rated headphone in here. Mm -hmm. And that's 800 bucks, which... Seems like a lot for headphones, but when you look at this product, you're like, wow, that's a really beautifully crafted product where a lot of thought went into the design. And they also voiced it to not be like, you know, one of these audiophile headphones that doesn't have any bass and highlights all the treble and therefore gives you the impression of detail. These are actually, they sound great with any kind of music. Anybody can get these headphones and enjoy them. You know, whether it's just some person off the street that can't even imagine a set of headphones that costs $300, much less 800 mm -hmm. and even i think audiophiles who are not into headphones would like these two mm -hmm. these just sound really great they they are very comfortable you can wear them for hours and hours and you can drive them with a smartphone and oh cool you know they're just it, it is it is probably the most appealing set of headphones that, that's just like overall that i can recommend to anybody without worrying that they won't like them can I ask you to explain something maybe for our listeners sure. who aren't into this stuff? You just made a distinction that I think is important. You said mm -hmm. you try them with a smartphone. Why is yeah. for people who aren't into this stuff? Why is that a point that you made? Okay, well, let's first of all lament the fact that there aren't that many smartphones with headphone jacks anymore. But <laughs> but you can put a little dongle on them for, and you can get these dongles. You know, a little a little DAC amp dongle, which costs you anywhere from about. Mm, I don't know, 19 bucks up to about a uh, thousand bucks. Um, and you can plug that into your phone and get sound. But the important thing is, you know, there are a lot of high-end headphones that need a lot more power than a smartphone or an MP3 player or a typical MP3 player could provide. And mm -hmm. sometimes that's for good reason. Sometimes you're doing something in there that just requires... Uh, like Hi-Fi Man has these, has the, uh, what are they called? The Susfara headphones are like $6,000 ones that are, they're, they have like really, really super thin gold traces to make the, the diaphragm as thin as possible and light as possible. But because they're so thin, you need a lot more power to put into it to actually get anything out of them, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. So, okay, and, and that makes sense. But in most, in a lot of cases, as as somebody, uh, a guy named Vlad Grzynski, who, who who's he working for now? I think Klipsch. Um, you know, he was showing me some headphones and, and he was talking about how the sensitivity was pretty high, like 103 dB. And I said, oh, well, that's, that's refreshing. He says, yeah, there's just no excuse for low sensitivity in headphones. Mm -hmm. And I think he has a point. It's like, yeah, like, like I said, there are a couple of times when, yeah, there's a reason for that. But by and large, there's not a real 
it's pretty rare for there to be a real benefit in a headphone not having adequate sensitivity be driven by anything. Mm, you know, yeah. start to show me the cases. And I, for every headphone that's like that, I can show you 10 that have good sensitivity that also sound great. Yeah. So, I mean, it may make you feel better that your headphones require a fancy amp to drive them. That's yeah. okay. Whatever. Yeah. Um, well, sorry but for then, that digression. It just, when you okay. when you brought it up, I was like, there might be some people who don't really understand why that's, that's true. important. So, so yeah. that that is important. But then also we had some Civca headphones, which actually look kind of similar to the Meze's, but they're about half the price. They're 449 Of everything and you reviewed this year, these are the ones I want the most. The Civcas? Yes. I, yeah. There's something about the look of them that appeals to me. I, there, I look, I like the look of the measurements. <laughs> it's just yeah, like, well, they, they the, do look I nice. They're similar to the Meze's, just nowhere near as refined looking. It's, it's, a, it's like a wooden cup. It's like a walnut, you know, ear cup and, you know, nice metal parts and everything. And they're well made. And like the Meze's, they're, they're voiced in a really super neutral way that doesn't favor a certain genre of music that doesn't amp up the treble or bump up the bass for that matter. And these are other headphones that I can just kind of recommend for, for everybody. And Mike Perez, who does the take two segment where he, you know, reviews some of the headphones that I reviewed. Um, he was really floored by him. He's like, yeah, these are, these are just great. They're just, they're, they're really affordable. They're really easy to deal with and they just really sound good. So yeah. two headphones, I mean, you have a high end option for what were the 800 for the Meze's and then you have these Civicas that are 449, both great. I mean, you can spend more money and get certainly a way prettier design. This probably sounds a little bit better, but the Civicas are also a really great option. And yeah, there's cheaper stuff you can buy than the Civicas. Civica itself makes lots of cheaper options, but these are really good. If you just want to go out and get some good headphones and you can spend 450, these are a really good choice. Yeah. We should say there, there are a lot of products here in the urine roundup that we are not digging into. We're just sort of touching on our favorites and the stuff that we wrote about. But I want to make sure everybody goes to soundstagehifi.com and looks at the the urine um, best products and also this uh, the outstanding achievement thing. Read the write-ups yeah. because we're just touching on it here. But I think this is really, really cool. So Yeah, so go check it out. Yeah, you want to take a break, get some water real quick, and I come do. back and talk about uh, changes. We will talk about that, and I'm very excited to talk about that. All right, man. We'll be back in a bit. Thank you. 
And we're back. This is the Soundstage Audiophile Podcast, and I am Brent Butterworth. And I am Dennis Berger. And so we are going to, in this second segment, talk about another article that kind of wraps up things that have been going on this year. And the article is titled, Retails Number 27, Changes in the Hi-Fi Industry by Julie Mullins at Stereophile. It's on their website right now. You can go check it out for free. And I advise that you do it. So she writes a column in Stereophile, like kind of like a, a kind of back page-ish column. Mm-hmm. It's always in kind of the back of the book um, where she talks about like what's going on on the retail scene and kind of a kind of a business, kind of a trade-ish column and, you know, trends in what's going on in the business side of, of high-end audio. And it's a good column. It's actually really, I think it's a great addition for a magazine like this so that consumers can kind of find out a little bit behind the scenes what's actually happening so the focus of this article it's it's a little bit of a trojan horse or i'm going to treat it as a trojan horse because it talks about how distribution models are changing which is kind of for consumers is somewhat arcane just real quick what what they're saying is happening is that a lot of manufacturers now they used to have it used to be like they'd hire especially if they were from europe or asia they would get a u.s distributor and the u.s distributor would stock their product in the u.s the u.s distributor would develop a dealer network the u.s distributor would do all the marketing the u.s distributor would ship products to dealers deal with service issues things like that mm-hmm. now um, that is appears to be changing in that a lot of companies are shipping direct to the consumer now, and then maybe hiring a U.S. marketing company to develop the dealer base and do the advertising. Um, and the company itself is basically dealing with all of the actual physical product. All right, well, mm-hmm. fine. For consumers, that's kind of arcane. They don't really care because, hey, gee, the product's still there for me. And um, But what they start to get into talking about, though, is more trends in terms of what kind of products are being offered in the industry, what kind of products are profitable and how those products are sort of marketed and sold to consumers. And they actually, as one of their, probably their one of their two main sources, they got a guy named Anthony Chiarella, who is Mm. one of my favorite people in the high end audio industry. I've known him for 20 some odd years and he is, he, I don't know if he started out as a writer and then went into the business side or started in the business side and went into the writing side. But, you know, he wrote for the Absolute Sound way back in the 90s and Mm -hmm. uh, worked with me at at Home Theater Magazine. And I've just known him for for a long, long time. Yeah, I've had dinner at his house and, you know, he's an Italian from Brooklyn. So if you get a... Mm. If you get an invite from an Italian from Brooklyn and they say they're going to cook for you, go. <laughs> but he's he's also yeah. written a lo- about a lot of luxury products, you know, cars and watches and things like that for uh, magazines like GQ. But mm-hmm. I don't think he really does that too much anymore. He mainly is like a, a, a high-end audio uh, distributor and marketing company. He owns a company called Specialty Sound Division in New Jersey. And mm-hmm. he works with a variety of different high-end audio companies. Anyway, so he is talking about how his, his sort of, biggest point is that there are not that many high-end dealers anymore. And there's a real sort of shortage of high-end dealers. And also he talks about how, uh, I'm going to see if I can quote him, um, because it's a great quote. Um, 
Here we go. The future of high-end audio retailing is a smaller number of larger sales. And I'll quote Julie Mullins here. Right, you know, She introduces that quote by saying, the focus on design raises another point, price. From the industry perspective, a big part of Hi-Fi's future is in luxury goods. Now, we've kind of talked a little bit about that. And so what they're saying is that the, the, the clientele for this is people who can afford to spend a lot of money on audio gear. And, you know, if you're going to sell, it's, it's, you know, if you're going to sell and service one customer who comes in and buys a half million dollars worth of gear from you, um, that's probably easier than servicing, you know, 10 customers who buy, you know, $50,000 worth of gear from you or, you know, a, a hundred customers who buy 5,000 worth of gear from you. But, you know, a lot of people complained about this. And I think certainly in the comments section of this article, which you you should read at your at your own (laughs) read at your own risk (laughs) to your sanity and your faith in humanity. It is it is a toxic dumpster fire. Yes, it is. Um, So (laughs) but anyway, to the point you were just talking about, though, you know, a friend of of ours, a mutual friend of ours who is in PR, who -hmm. would not want to be named as having told the story. And and in fact, told me, you know, don't tell don't tell anybody I told you this, but was telling me that he was talking to someone who used to be a boutique electronics manufacturer Mm -hmm. and is returning to that game is going to start designing and building electronics again and said his entry level is going to be $75,000 per component. He was like, yeah, just as a boutique manufacturer, it's the only way I can make any money is if my cheapest product is $75,000 for, you know, an amp or a source component or a preamp or something like that. Boy, that's just staggering. It is. Now I, I want to say two things about this. First of all, there's still, look, there is no shortage of really awesome, affordable gear in this industry. We were, we were just talking about that SVS system where for 800 bucks, was it 800, 900? Eight, 899. Um, 899, yeah, like you get a whole system soup to nuts that sounds absolutely fantastic. That sounds honestly better than some super high-end audio products do. Yes, yes. And also has incredible convenience and and it's easy enough for anybody to use. And so there are plenty of options out there if you want something affordable. But I think people get mad because so much of the focus, especially in some of these high-end audio magazines, is on these $100,000 amplifiers, which you can only buy. Look, the, the number of people who like care so much about music reproduction that they buy a $100,000 amplifier is extremely small. I'm pretty yeah. sure they could all fit in a car with me. And, <laughs> you know, like a, like a big, what kind of car? A, a big car, you know, okay. an old, an old 70s Cadillac maybe. Oh, um, right. But the vast majority of people and people, you know, th- people in the audio industry have been telling me this for 20 years, at least the vast majority of people who buy these products are people with just so much money and they like, they want an audio system and they just go into a dealer and say, I want the best. And yeah. the dealer's like, well, yeah, I got all this stuff and it's a half million. They're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Because, you know, yeah. we've had a, a great bifurcation of wealth in the world where we have this class of, you know, super, super, super wealthy people that fly private jets and things like that. And if you're flying a private jet, you know, a, a half million dollar audio system is not going to break you. Um, yeah. So there's so much focus on that. And I think with these high-end audio magazines, this is why I would argue that, for me personally, as a reader, I, I find 
so much of this to be uninteresting. Now, these magazines have to cover this stuff because that's what their advertisers are making. Well, and, and also, look, man, Roden Track doesn't put Hyundais on the cover. Like true. they put the Ferrari, right? <laughs> you know, true. and then most of the people who buy Roden Track are never going to be able to afford anything on the cover, but you want that aspirational aspect to it. So there's some of that. Yeah, but true. But but to Styrofoil's credit, I think, didn't they put the, like one of these SVS systems on the cover? Well, that's true. Um, yeah. Well, I don't so, know. I haven't seen a cover of Stereophile. Okay. <laughs> for me, it's a website. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure. Well, I think for a lot so. of people. But anyway, you know, it's not like they they don't review. But the focus is on these, you know, five figure and up products. Mm-hmm. And it just becomes not that interesting. Now, if I would argue this. If you're reading Road and Track, yes, it is really fun to read about a, a supercar that you can't afford. Okay, Mm -hmm. but because that supercar delivers a tangible benefit in addition Mm -hmm. to being, you know, we've talked a lot about how, you know, when you're talking about high end products, you're talking about a desire for status. All right. And the status is, is, you know, you to, to offer this status product, you have to have the alibi, which is the reason you buy the status product other than your quest for status. <laughs> okay. And yeah. with high end audio, it's always, gonna, it's always been where you're going to get better sound, mm, but yes. you are in, in so many cases. That's a, that's a very, very hard case to make. Yeah. I can put together a system. Yeah. For me to put together a system that would just blow your mind, not just impress you, but blow your mind. It might cost me 10 or 20,000 bucks to do that. Right. So mm-hmm. that's something. But once you start to to get a a $100,000 amplifier and $200,000 speakers and a a $30,000 music server, um, you know, it's probably, it's going to be visually impressive, um, but it's not, from a musical standpoint, it's not going to be any better than the the system that somebody who knows what they're doing puts together for you for five, five or 10 or 20,000 bucks. So yeah. it's, it's harder to, it's harder to create the alibi and the, the, these publications though, they, they, they serve to create the alibi and yeah. you've got people raving about these products that really aren't that interesting for the most part, but you know, the rich person can go, Oh, well I care about music. So I'm buying this thing, even though they're really buying it because you know, it's, it's a, it's a Veblen good. You buy it because it costs a lot of money. Yeah. Also there's, there's one thing. Let me just bounce something off of you. We might, mm-hmm. uh, we might cut this in the edit. I don't know. This may go nowhere, but I was watching a YouTube video the other day about this 80 like, year old Japanese man who's trying to continue the tradition of hand building cast iron pots. Mm-hmm. Right. So his, like his, his family has been doing this for like 22 generations or something. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to teach his son and, and like, it costs like $300 to make one of these, but make and sell one of these pots. Whereas yeah. you can go to the store and buy one that looks almost identical for like 20 bucks. But uh-huh. you were talking about, I think there's a connection here. They were talking about something like one of the things that's really bolstering his business is that the something called the CMH sector, creative manufacturing and handmade sector is one of the fastest growing sectors of the any goods market, right? Uh-huh. People want something handmade, hand built, and they're willing to pay yeah. a premium for it. And I'm wondering how that trend, which is projected to like 
I don't know, more than quadruple in the coming years is going to affect the high-end audio industry, or if you think it will. It, it so. already has affected the high-end audio industry because, yeah. look, you want, look, what do you want? Do you want a a Parasound amp for a thousand or two thousand bucks that is a hundred percent fully functional and will get you maximum performance from any speaker you connect to it? Yes. <laughs> or do you want the $8,000 tube amp that you mm. have to be careful about pairing your speakers with and it's built by hand by whoever or whatever? I mean, I would look if, if you could say, what's your dream amp, Brent? I would say I want one of the Bob Carver uh, EL84 based amplifiers, which I could, I'm sure I could get. But, um, because first of all, it's Bob Carver, who yeah. I love. And second of all, it's EL84s. And my first ever amplifier that I ever owned was a, a Heathkit that was EL84 based. And Bob mm. Carver's told me, like, he's like, he's like, I really think EL84s are the best sounding tube ever. And so it means it's special to me in that way. And that amp is going to be 12 watts if it's EL84 push-pull. It's going to be 12, mm -hmm. 12 watts. I mean, they might rate it at 15 or more, but they're not getting 15 out of it. And, but you know, it would be super special to me. Mm, I'm still going yeah. to probably get an EL84 amp at some point. Um, yeah. But, and no, it doesn't perform as well as the Parasound that I can get for, uh, you know, a thousand or two thousand. But, you know, I got to find some fairly sensitive speakers to use with it and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. However, I'm going to love it more. And look, there is that aspect of high-end audio is that you're going, and, and any other, almost anything else. I mean, do you want to go get a, a Shure SM57 microphone, which I'm speaking into right now, which costs 80 bucks? Or do you want to go get like a Neumann something that costs 3000 You Well, if you can afford the Neumann, you probably get it. Is it going to be mm. better for the application? I don't know. Yeah. But still, you know, if you got the money, you're going to spend it. I mean, everybody on, I don't know about everybody on earth, but everybody I know um, likes to have a backstory to their products that they buy. No, maybe not for, maybe not for their washing machine, but, but yeah. for their coffee maker, even, you know, you mm -hmm. want like the better coffee maker may or may not be better. You know, you want you know, the, the 600 thread count sheets, you want the, you know, and, and high-end audio is the same way. You want like a cool amp that's designed by some master dude who maybe walks around in a robe or something at high-end audio shows. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that I wanted to pick up, a different thread with this article that I found interesting is that they talk about cultural differences and talk about the the sort of the, the effect of the custom installation industry on high-end audio in the United States where things are hidden and, you know, you're dealing typically with decorators and architects and builders yeah. and things like that. Whereas in Europe and Asia, it is, you know, your hi-fi system is a, a more likely to be a source of pride, something that is yeah. out in the open where you're displaying your components i thought that was a neat avenue that she went down on this piece in, and, and indeed yeah and and you know having traveled a lot in europe and asia i can tell you that boy that is the, that is really the case and the brands are better known and more revered and i don't know somehow in america this stuff is seen more as appliances and i'm not saying that's necessarily bad because some of the stuff is appliances and we gussy them up with fancy faceplates and things like that. But, you know, I remember being in, uh, I think it was Suwon 
South Korea. And the hotel we were staying in had, you know, it, it was it was Asia. So therefore, every place has a karaoke system. And, <laughs> and their karaoke system was built around BMW 800 series speakers. What? I was just like... <laughs> That's amazing. I was just like, this is BMW's highest in line, and they're using yeah. it for a karaoke system. Yeah. Which clearly they knew who BMW was. They wanted something impressive. They wanted something people would think was good. Whereas in the US, if you put that in, people wouldn't know what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there was that story that we talked about. Was it episode before last? I can't remember. I'm getting old. The Sasha Fair Jones piece where he's talking about sort of jazz cafes in, in yeah. Asia where it's, you know, it's it's a smaller room, but like they've got like a super hi-fi system. And that's kind of the point of being there. I mean, yes, it's a gathering spot, but everybody's there to kind of listen to the hi-fi. I thought that was really neat. I wish um, – I don't know. More and more, I'm starting to discover that I wish I were Asian, but <laughs> that would be yeah. it'd be really cool to have that and and to sing karaoke. Oh, on, that's uh, good. Bauer, oh gosh, yeah, on Bowers and Wilkins speakers. They, they're I'm I'm discovering they're just my people. So. I think that I think riding the mass transit might freak you out. Oh, that's the thing. They like they put on the white gloves and they like shove everybody in. Yeah, yeah. I've never oh, actually could, seen that happen. However, bike. <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty tight and you can't actually ride a bike around those places and, and not have fear that you'll get just run over by a giant pickup truck. Cause they don't have giant pickup trucks Yeah, um, yeah. or any pickup trucks, but yeah. um, have you been to Asia? I've never been. I, oh, wanted to, I had the one opportunity when we were working for Robertport Home Entertainment. I think you were going to send me to a Panasonic thing and then I got the flu. Yeah. And I, that was like my, that was the last chance I had to go on a junket. That was at the end of the Asian junket era. Well, maybe we should go. So, yeah, maybe we should cool. go. Yeah. Let's, okay. Let's, cool. let's bookmark that. Let's do that as something we could do together. It'd be. That'd be a kick because, you know, I don't get to go to, you know, as you said, the junket era is mostly over. So I don't get to go to Asia <laughs> on somebody else's dime anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's explore the Pacific Northwest first, man. We got a lot of places to drive around and cool. see there. So, okay. All right. Shall we wrap this one up? Yeah, man. Let's take a break and go get some water. And uh, what are we talking talk about, about next? Headphones. 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 JPL. Oh, I've heard of yeah. those. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right, man. All right. Back to the Soundstage Audiophile Podcast. I'm Dennis Berger. And I'm Brent Butterworth. And in the last segment, we're going to try to keep with the theme of wrapping up the past and moving into the future, but we're doing this on a little bit of tangentially. So we're talking yeah. about a, a press release from Harmon. Yeah. It sort of buries the lead. The, the title of this press release is JBL Hits 200 Million Headphones Milestone. Okay. Which in and of itself, I mean, that sounds interesting. I guess that's good. Like that, I guess that's yeah, a lot. Yeah, I mean. 
I mean, yeah, <laughs> I kind of feel like that Eddie is segment where he's talking about going to the grocery store and going to the fruit and veg section and you sort of squeeze a lemon and you're like, ooh, is that good? Is that how much a lemon is yeah. supposed to squeeze? Like yeah. 200 million headphones. Is that, is that a good? I mean, I guess it's a good number. Or they wouldn't be putting it in the headline of their press release, but they're burying the lead here. The thing that really stood out to me is that they are now number two by volume in the overall headphone mm-hmm. market. And is they are the number one audio brand because the number one brand in the overall headphone market is Apple. who's a, you know, telephone yeah. provider. So... I don't know why that took me aback, but I did. I found that rather staggering. I, I knew me too. good headphones. I would have never in a million years predicted that they were number two by volume and number one as far as audio brands go. I mean, that means they've surpassed Sony. That means they surpassed Bose. That means they've surpassed, you know, all of these headphone manufacturers that would we would think, well, if anybody's number two behind Apple, it's probably them. Nope, it's JBL. So that's pretty yeah. awesome. And, you know, JBL, I don't know how long JBL's been making headphones. You know, JBL's been around since before I was born. Um, mm, yeah. But... Um, JBL's only, to, to my knowledge, JBL's only been doing headphones for about 15 years or something like that. Now, yeah, and they I've, talk about in the press release, they say over the past decade, headphones have played a central role in their mission. So, yeah. you know, yeah, 10, 15 years, something like that. Yeah, and it was kind of an afterthought because, you know, they already, Harman already owned AKG. And, mm-hmm. you know, and they've kind of done some, JBL started as like, yeah, they well, let's do some headphones under the JBL brand, just like they did headphones under the Harman Kardon brand. And it wasn't necessarily a super, you know, focused or serious effort, but it is kind of slowly built up. And I think some of this is because of, of the publicity with the Harman curve. Mm. And, you know, it's first of all, JBL is a well-known brand. Everybody kind of recognizes that logo and kind of knows that it's sort of a pro thing. It is a pro thing, but um, you know, it, it kind of has a, a a good reputation, and it's definitely known as an audio brand. But you know, Harman came out with the Harman Curve research originally, I think, in 2012, and nobody paid any attention to it, especially Harman. <laughs> mm. Yeah, because <laughs> it took them a good five years to actually pay attention to their own research. But now, you know, you can go buy these JBL, like, uh, earphones for 20 bucks that hit Harman Curve and sound really good and don't sound stupidly bassy and don't sound stupidly treble, trebly and just sound basically really good. And, yeah, yeah there are a lot of headphones for, you know, earphones, let's say, for, for 20 bucks that sound horrible. And yeah. at some that sound good, but, you know, with, I think people are kind of catching on that with JBL, you can go buy these headphones or earphones and they're not going to be too nutty sounding and they'll be like, they'll sound good. And, um, and I think that honestly, I think a lot of their designs were, have been really weak going mm. back five, six, seven years. You know, I remember I test them and be like, boy, it sounds good, but it's just really uncomfortable or it had some other problem. But they've clearly gotten some better industrial design and they've clearly been paying attention to what people want because people are buying them. Um, Now, we should point out this is by volume. This is not by sales in terms of dollars or or whatever monetary unit you want to use. Um, But that in and of itself is kind of interesting because what that says is they're selling a lot of affordable headphones. They're selling selling more headphones than Sony. And that is really remarkable because Sony has been a huge brand in headphones 
since the 1970s, I guess. Mm-hmm. And certainly since the 80s. And I've, I've owned lots of Sony headphones. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. to beat Sony is a big, 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 big deal. And I'm sure a lot of it has to do, we have to give credit to JBL's marketing because you can't sell a lot of stuff without good marketing. Well, I think, you know, what's funny is a lot of companies are doing marketing for JBL these days. I mean, you're seeing more and more, you're seeing headphone companies saying, hey, we designed this to, to you know, the Harman target curve or use the Harman target curve as a starting point. And it's like, That's wait true. a minute, <laughs> you're sort of promoting, you're saying that your competition had a better idea and you're kind of borrowing it. But I mean, they're just utterly blatant about it. So, yeah. And I, I think um, I have to say, it's really good that um, <laughs> it's good to see this, that, you know, look, what JBL wants is to sell a lot of headphones and I think, you know, they have been so often attacked on headphone forums by saying, you know, Harman Curve is all wrong. And I think blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. And, you know, uh, Sean Olive, who's the guy who was, you know, headed up the effort to do the Harman Curve, uh, has gone on and tried to defend his work and and explain the science and just gotten and with some of these people. He just gets nowhere. But, you know, now he can point to this and say, well, you know what? Maybe you don't like them, but most people mm. do. And that's what yeah. we care about. Yeah, you so, were talking about the design aspect earlier. He did a post about the um, the Tour Pro or the Tour 1 Mark II or something like that the other day. I was looking at these things, and it's, it's kind of like you were – what he was saying was intriguing me, but I thought, yeah, but they're going to look like JBLs. And then I went and looked at them and it's like, oh, gosh, those look kind of sexier than the Sonys they're competing with. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're like really well designed. They're match the Harman target curve. And apparently the active noise cancellation is really good. Yeah. Those I have are sexy tested and they're these. Like, I'm sure I will. like 250, 250 bucks. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. It makes sense. Yeah. I'm pretty, um, oh, and it includes the world's first, the Pro 2, the Tour Pro 2, which is the earphones, I guess, mm-hmm. includes the first smart charging case with a 1.45 inch LED touch display. I wonder what you, oh, you can manage at it now music, it shows the mode. Yeah. Customize your earphones. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I'm looking forward to trying that. Interesting. Um, yeah. But I'm also intrigued by the towards the tail end of this release, they start to talk about um, in the future, headphones will feature 3D rendering algorithms that can imitate reverberation in spaces like a cathedral or a gymnasium. Now, mm. don't, 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 not, not, hold on, hold on. That doesn't mean they're going to have a cathedral mode like some stupid <laughs> AV receivers do. <laughs> This promises gaming headphones that are aware of the spatial environment and it can perfectly mimic the reverberations inside the virtual places that an on-screen character explores. And see, that sounds like something you probably like. Because your on-screen character, when he's wielding his flaming sword in a giant cave, you want it to sound like, because that's what you do (laughs) on those games, right? Um, Yeah. Yeah. And you, uh, you know, you want it to sound like a giant cave, not like a bedroom. So... Uh, resulting in truly believable, truly immersive experiences, active, accurate spatial audio will also have a huge role to play in the metaverse. Mark Mm. Zuckerberg himself has said that getting spatial audio right is the key to delivering a realistic sense of presence in the metaverse. Okay, so that just basically discredited everything JBL just said (laughs) in their release. Bad call, JBL PR. (laughs) That was like... 
Yeah. I'm sorry. The level me, of excitement around Mark Zuckerberg's metaverse is uh, somewhat muted right now. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. sorry. Go ahead. Let me let, let me let me let me pitch something at you and you okay. respond to it because you're much better at this sort of speculation than I am. You know. All right. Often in the circles that you and I run around in, there is this mantra that the unwashed masses simply do not care about audio quality. And what makes us better than them is that we do care about audio quality. I, I want to sort of pitch this the success of JBL as is a counter argument to that as you know, I mean, these guys are <laughs> more successful than anybody in the headphone space than Apple. And yeah. really their biggest selling point is the sound quality. So they, I mean, they, they're not, they're not achieving this success on the back of audio files, man. This is a normie no. driven success. Do, do you think this is a good counter to that? Well, but I, I think it is. And mm -hmm. I, I would argue that normal people don't care about sound quality until they hear it. And, you know, so if you had the, you know, the earphones I'm using right now because I'm traveling and I'm using the ones that came with my brother's $15 MP3 player and they're terrible. Um, you know, <laughs> if I were to get my brother a set of, you know, the $20 JBL ones and he heard them, if he could have one or the other, he prefer the JBLs and, mm -hmm. you know, people, I mean, if you, if you give them a choice of two things or three things and they hear that one sounds better, there's no question that they'll choose the one that sounds better. So I think people do care. They just don't necessarily know they care and they may not be willing to shell out a lot of money for it. It's sort of like hamburgers. It's like a lot of people go to McDonald's or whatever and, you know, mm -hmm. That's fine. But I think most people would prefer to go to, um, you know, like an In-N-Out burger or something like that. But, you know, if you don't have an In-N-Out burger nearby or the line's long or, you know, or you could go to some place that has really good burgers that yeah. are going to cost you, I don't know, eight or ten bucks for a burger. Well, it's like you might want to do that once in a while, but you're probably going to still go to McDonald's every day for lunch because, hey, it's a couple bucks and it tastes okay and it's fine. And I think people are like that a lot with sound. But at least with JBL, you can go get a Harman Curve set of earphones for 20 bucks. Yeah. So uh, you can get something that sounds quite good and, you know, will, will give you a good result without you having to worry about it. So that sounds like a little bit of an endorsement of JBL. <laughs> and I will say, yeah, all right, look, you're these days, you are not going to get screwed up sound with a JBL headphone or earphone. Right. Now, I still can't vouch for their design, the comfort, the features and stuff like that, because I just haven't tested that many JBL headphones. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's my fault, you know, because they're not on my radar. Yeah. Still not on my radar. And maybe now they'll be a little more on my radar. Yeah. I think the neatest thing here from me is you and I have driven this point home time and time again. We'll continue to drive it home. The Harman target curve is not, you know, it's it's not as if Dr. Sean Olive came up with this curve and said, this is what headphones sound like. What it is, is a description of what most people like in the sound. You know, it's a, it's a way right. of saying, if you make a headphone sound like this, most people will like yeah, it's it. The opposite it is of what, yeah, it's the opposite yeah. of what most audio companies do. 
Right. It's descriptive, not prescriptive. So I think this is in a lot of sense, <laughs> this is, this points to the success of that notion. You know, I mean, this is, yeah. this is basically validation of that concept to say, Hey, if you make your headphones sound like this, most people will prefer it. So yep. Yeah, I think maybe that should have been the headline instead of we've sold 200 million headphones. Well, you so. know, they've been they've been trying for 10 years to sell this idea of, you know, science-driven voicing. Mm-hmm. And there's just no question that it's working. And there's still going to be some people who resist it, but and that's fine, and there may be people who want something different, and that's fine too. But mm-hmm. let's just be honest about this stuff. Yeah, I think that's what you and I are both calling for. It's just, it's not, it's not necessarily one viewpoint or another. It's not, you know, science or art. It's just, let's just, let's define our terms and be honest about it yes. and be honest about what we value and be honest about where the price of a component comes from and let people decide whether that is worth spending their money on or not. That's yes. what I want more of. Yeah. You know, and, so. and, and like, you know, my new personal guru, Sasha Freer Jones, Says in his podcast. Wait, you know, wait. I thought I was your personal guru. Sorry, dude. I've moved on. Oh, um, man. So, like he said, you know, we talked about him in our last episode, I think, and in the article or he the did for Harper's. That, yeah. And then, but then I found out he had done a podcast about the same thing. And so I listened to it. And one thing he says in there that I really admired is, you know, he got on these audio forums and people are just trashing him and stuff. And he's like, you really have that much vested improving me wrong yeah and yeah. i'm kind of like you know just like on this on the on the the stereophile article we were talking about with their comment section where these dudes are just arguing about stupid crap just yeah. for arguing sake and i guess if you want to do that that's okay but that's that does not serve the world of audio well no and, and it, it certainly doesn't broaden the well. tent right it yeah doesn't broaden the tent and all those dudes are wrong so on some level, they're all wrong because so much of this doesn't matter. So, all right, we've, we've, we've kind of ended on a peaceful, zen-like note there, <laughs> which is a good place to end our very last podcast of 2022. Yeah, man. I think we wrapped up the year pretty well. <laughs> yeah, if we, we do say so ours. Well, we, we, I, I, I just hope that we've amused people for an hour or so. There you go. That's what we're looking That's for. That's all I ever so, hope for. Yeah. So, so shall let's we? Let's uh, do some credits, man. Let's do yeah. credits. Um, yeah. I have decided that uh, the music in this podcast will be all of my efforts, and we'll since we haven't played any of my music for a long time, we'll dredge up a couple of my my biggest hits. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. I hope you still have them. I, maybe I still have them. I can probably find I, them. D- I do. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Cool. We should say we are a Butterburger production, which we means are. that we engineered it, we recorded it, we mixed it, and mastered it, and edited it, and we're not telling which of us did what. No. So, because it doesn't really matter. And we're a presentation of the Soundstage Network. Yeah. A microsite collection of yeah. nine microsites dealing with different aspects of audio. So whether you're into super, super high-end or budget stuff, or whether you're kind of more into the music than the gear, or whether you're from Australia, whatever, mm. whatever your thing is, 
uh, unless you're unless you're someone from Alabama who's really into suitcase audio. But we're working on that. We're, we're working, working on, on that. it. Yeah. Yeah. I just got to be able to sit for longer durations again. And then I'm going to go find it. It's going to happen. It. It's going to happen. Yeah. Unless Stereophile beat you to it. But I'm not. <laughs> I'm guessing that won't happen. Uh, yeah. All right, man. Well, hey, have a happy new year and uh, happy birthday to you coming up soon. Thank yeah. you. And happy new year to you, too. And to all of our devoted and, and, and loyal listeners out there. See you next time. All right. Bye.